0: welcome to the three martini lunch grab a stool next to greg Corumbus of radio america and jim garrity of national review three martinis coming up
1: really glad you're with us for the tuesday edition of the three martini lunch brought to you today by tommy john good bad and crazy martinis for conservatives and Jim, yesterday was the Electoral College, and uh, to the surprise of more people than I expected, uh, Joe Biden won the Electoral College. Mitch McConnell has congratulated him, and that probably makes uh, last-ditch efforts to derail him becoming president at the joint session that counts the electoral votes unlikely. But uh, Mitch McConnell, nonetheless, is our good martini today. Not for that, but uh, for how he is using the rest of this session. NBC News. While President Donald Trump continues to make noise about the election, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is quietly using the final days of Trump's administration to make one last push to transform the judiciary and seal the president's legacy. In just four years, Trump has outpaced previous presidents and selected more than one in every four federal judges, including one third of the Supreme Court. And these judges are unlike jurists selected by his predecessors, they were picked with a unique formula, Jim. Get this, young and ideological conservative. Apparently no one's ever thought of that combination (laughs) before. Oh, those are the worst. (laughs) So Leonard Leo, uh, a longtime affiliated with the Federalist Society, uh, and it has kind of been Trump's Sherpa through a lot of this uh, judicial nominating of folks to the district, appellate and Supreme court quote, these appointees to the bench serve life tenure. And as a result, they will be shaping jurisprudence in our country for the next two generations. And, uh, Mitch McConnell still at it. On Friday, McConnell teed up a new round of votes on judicial nominees. The Senate, for example, is slated to vote Monday on Thomas Kirsch, a 46-year-old U.S. attorney, to fill the seat vacated by Justice Amy Coney Barrett, whom Republicans confirmed to the Supreme Court. Uh, That's for the Seventh Circuit. So, uh, Jim, when you have divided uh, houses of Congress, Democrats controlling the House, Republicans controlling the Senate, you're not going to agree on a ton of legislation. You'll obviously have to get some sort of funding agreement done. Uh, But in terms of policy, the areas of agreement are going to be few and far between. So McConnell has used the past two years, especially, but really the past four, uh, to do what he can unilaterally. And that's confirmed people, a lot of judges, and hopefully a lot of good ones. So far, what we've seen on the Supreme Court, very good ones. You know, Greg, besides
2: the the ever-expanding cornucopia of cool nicknames for Mitch McConnell, from Cocaine Mitch, to the apex predator of American politics and all that. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this. If, if you want to think about the most consequential senators of the modern era, I think McConnell now has to be in that, uh, you know, if not at the very top of your list, not far from it, for the sheer impact his leadership and his ability to keep his Senate caucus together. And his focus and his relentlessly beating the drum and managing to keep this steady train of judicial nominees for all levels of the federal courts coming, managing everything from impeachment to the pandemic to, you know, this has not been a quiet four years. And yet this is a, a legacy of McConnell that is going to live probably for a generation. And by that standard, you can make the argument that Mitch McConnell is one of the most consequential conservatives of the modern era. Um, now, this is, you know, this is a guy who, like, the reason we kind of laugh about him being called Cocaine Mitch is that he doesn't really give barn burner of a speech, and he doesn't pound the table, and he's, the one t- one of the times I had a chance to uh, uh, be in the same room with him, he, he was so soft-spoken, you found yourself kind of leaning in forward in your chair to hear him as he spoke very quietly. But, you know, in terms of legacy, he's going to rank right up there because of his impact on the federal judiciary. And I think, you know, every once in a while, it's been, we've seen, if you've been watching politics for as long as you and I have, a lot of Republican Senate majority leaders and minority leaders Bob Dole, Trent Lott, Bill Frist. Um, and there's often a great deal of frustration. And it's just kind of recognition that the Senate majority leader very rarely is somebody who will stand out as the most charismatic speaker in an entire group. They are generally not the kind of people who are the most popular, you got to tune in cable news type guests. But the job of a Senate majority leader is to know his caucus well, to know what they can vote for, to know what they can't vote for, to know what their voters back home will accept and to know what what is not acceptable to their voters back home. And kind of to know how far to push and how far to arm twist and when to let them go. And I think Mitch McConnell has been, you know, year after year, Mitch McConnell has done a lot for the Republicans, particularly on this judicial front. And I think years from now, as we watch federal judges knocking down ideas that are unconstitutional and would be bad for everybody,
1: we probably should take a moment to say, hey, thanks a lot, Mitch McConnell. (laughs) I've always said, and I still believe that uh, even in divided government, McConnell probably should push more legislation just to get Republicans and Democrats on the record, especially Democrats uh, having to vote down popular legislation uh, that you could possibly use as uh, an election year uh, weapon against them. But uh, I think it's good to get those folks on the record. But at the same time, uh, you have to be able to get done what you can get done, regardless of who controls the other chamber. And nominations is the biggest one for the Senate and the judiciary. Again, will look uh, very, very different as a result of these past four years and only for the better. And of course, kudos to Trump and kudos to Leonard Leon, whoever else has been working. On these nominations. I'm sure some of them will uh, turn out to be disappointments given how many we have. But uh, overall, I think we have to be pretty happy with the process on both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. Indeed, Greg. All right. Well, let's talk about Tommy John because uh, we're comfortable with the, uh, the complexion of the judiciary here for the, the next uh, number of years. But you know, you got to be comfortable when you're just lounging around in the middle of a pandemic, too. And so don't overthink your holiday gifts. We've been living in loungewear all year long, but are you living in the best possible loungewear? And that's where some pro-level Tommy John loungewear could really help you out. This holiday season, Tommy
2: John is making sure you can give the gift of comfort to everyone on your list, and yourself if you need it, with Tommy John Men's and Women's Loungewear. You know, it's time to say goodbye to those old stained sweatpants. I hope you're not wearing them now as you listen to this. Tommy John loungewear is luxuriously soft and guaranteed to fit perfectly with the same level of comfort and innovation that goes into everything Tommy John makes. Plus, Tommy John's loungewear, pajamas, and underwear come in limited edition sets, perfect for gifting. But keep in mind, they sell out quick. Tommy John underwear puts a permanent end to sticking and chafing.
1: So order now and experience it for yourself. You know, I've had the chance to uh, wear Tommy John products that's very comfortable regardless, whether it's the t-shirts, uh, the shorts, or the loungewear. You know, these loungewear pants, they're not stained, Jim, but I've been wearing them enough that it's almost a miracle that they're not at this point. So uh, very, very comfortable stuff. Uh, you will not be disappointed. And there's no risk with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. So order now. Go to TommyJohn.com slash martini for $25 off site-wide and get last-minute holiday deals, but for a limited time only. Get $25 off for a limited time. TommyJohn.com slash tommyjohn.com slash martini see site for details all right jim let's get to our bad martini now it's a double-fisted bad martini one for each of the democrats running in the special georgia runoffs, and they make it so easy for us warnock's been doing it the whole time ossoff i guess was getting lonely and decided to get in the game too let's start with warnock because this is probably the most insane uh, you know, we've talked about him uh, with the military. We've talked about him comparing Netanyahu to George Wallace and many other things, uh, mocking people who want to uh, carry and conceal guns. But uh, we've unearthed another, and by unearthed, we mean the free beacon, uh, 2017 sermon, Christmas time, because as you'll remember, the, uh, the tax cut uh, plan, tax reform plan, was enacted in December of 2017. Well, Reverend Warnock decided to fold that into his sermon about Herod slaughtering the kids of Bethlehem as he tried to find Jesus and prevent him from becoming the next king of Israel. Uh, So in case you never thought of this comparison before, here's Reverend Warnock making it, unfortunately.
0: Members of the United States Senate declared war and launched a vicious and evil attack on the most vulnerable people in America. Herod is on the loose. Herod is a cynical politician who's willing to kill children and kill the children's health program in order to preserve his own wealth and his own power. Hope is in the air, but Herod is on the loose. The hopes and the fears of all the years have met in V tonight. And so on Friday night, the United States Senate decided by a slim majority to pick the pockets of the poor, the sick, the old, and the yet unborn, in order to line the pockets of the ultra rich. So
1: Jim, you know, he's not the only Democrat who said the tax cut bill would kill a lot of people, but he is the only one who I think has uh, compared it to uh, King Herod's response to the birth of Christ. Uh, John Ossoff, of course, uh, is running against David Perdue. Uh, According to the Free Beacon also, uh, John Ossoff said that federal agents should be deployed to ensure that illegal immigrants receive good wages instead of enforcing federal immigration law. A resident asked Ossoff how he would deal with people who were illegally brought to the United States as minors, and the Democrat went on to chastise the brutal conditions, his words, facing workers on Georgia farms, arguing that immigration and customs enforcement agents should be used not to detain illegal immigrants, but to verify that such workers are treated well. Quote, when federal agents arrive at one of these farms, it should be to make sure people are being paid the minimum wage, working in humane conditions, Ossoff said Sunday, adding that the U.S. should, quote, show humanity and compassion for those who are part of our society, but living in the shadows. Uh, Jim, I think making uh, American employers actually... Pay what's legal would probably be a good way to cut down on illegal immigration. But you know, ICE's job is to you know make sure immigration laws are actually enforced, not necessarily to make sure labor laws are enforced. So, what do you make of these two? Well, first of all, Greg, ICE is not part of the Department of Labor,
2: <laughs> right? I, I also should just—I'm sure they've got some nice charts somewhere where he can look at the federal government and figure out, oh, oh, they're part of the Department of Justice. Oh, okay. They enforce the law. All right. Okay. I mean, I guess theoretically the minimum wage is a law itself, but it's also set by the state. Um, so a couple of thoughts come to mind here. The first is we can, you know, look at Purdue and Loeffler, the Republican uh, incumbent senators, and kind of, you know, recognize we're not dealing with, you know, whirling dervishes of raw political charisma here. And we can kind of roll, you know, you know, this wish we had a better candidate, wish we had somebody who, uh, two senators who were just going to, you know, roar through this runoff Uh, Keep in mind, Purdue won by about two percentage points. He was just short of that 50% threshold. Um, But, you know, if we lose these two incumbent senators and we we end up with two Democrats, we're not getting two moderate Democrats. We're not getting two sensible ones. Because if you look at other Democrats who have won statewide in the South, usually at minimum, they have to at least put a fig leaf and pretend to be somewhat conservative on some front. Uh, in Louisiana, John Bell Edwards, the governor, is uh, probably indisputably pretty, has some pretty solid uh, uh, you know, pro-life record. He's bad on a whole bunch of other issues. He's not who conservatives would want on a whole bunch of other issues, but he at least recognizes Louisiana is a very pro-life state, and he is going to be pro-life, and he will avoid antagonizing pro-lifers in his state. Roy Cooper, you can probably dispute, is a little further to the left. But basically, there's this fairly you know, solid, significant case of, of the, the, the South was culturally and socially conservative. And you, you know, and, and from everything from uh, uh, immigration enforcement to supporting tax cuts, you know, like it's not like the South has ever been anti-tax cut. It's not like the South has ever been like, hooray for open borders, let's bring in as many illegal immigrants as we can. You couldn't run as a far left liberal and win in the South think that's still the case in Georgia, but I don't know, considering the state of the divisions within the uh, Georgia Republican Party right now, and Lynn Wood running around the state telling Republicans not to vote, and Sidney Powell saying that the Kraken is coming, and the allegations Brian Kemp is some sort of communist secret agent, and all, you know, look, if Republican divisions end up costing them two seats, it's not just, oh, we lose and we get two relatively, cons- we're not getting two Heath Shulers, we're not getting two relatively, centrist Democrats. We're getting two liberal Democrats from the state of Georgia, which up until you know, probably like going back 25 years, Democrats had not won anything statewide. Now Joe Biden has won, not by a lot, by about 12,000 votes. But if you're in a state where Georgia is sending two liberals to the Senate, then Republicans are in deep, deep trouble for the years to come. Basically, this is one of those races you really shouldn't be losing Republicans. But then again, we weren't supposed to lose a Alabama Senate race either, we managed to do that by nominating Roy Moore, didn't we?
1: These guys, man, they are something else. Warnock's got a Greatest Hits album, and he's not even in office, but uh, this is, <laughs> oh, man, we only have to win one, but I think uh, one side's going to win both. That's my hunch here. I don't see a lot of ticket splitting going on in this mm. one, Jim, do you?
2: No, no, and I, I guess you probably feel a little better about Purdue against Ossoff, but uh, Yeah, I would not expect there to be, you know, if there's a percentage points
1: difference, I'll be surprised. Yeah, I got to think that's right. So uh, whatever your frustrations are, Georgia Republicans, you cannot let the Democrats get control of the U.S. Senate. It is absolutely vital. Joe Manchin is not going to be the bulwark that we think he is. Maybe on the filibuster. But, uh, you know, if he supports statehood for D.C. or Puerto Rico or both, you know, that, that, uh, that 50-50 thing. He, he may support forward. Republicans about as much as some other bulwark, Greg. <laughs> Very good. Yes. All Republicans must suffer indefinitely, according to, to that mm-hmm. bulwark. So, you know, wow.
0: It's mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, The Mach and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media, or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations, and if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe
1: all right well let's talk about some more good news and that's for patriots where you can find them at for slash martini and find all the great deals including getting a free solar panel with the purchase of the patriot power generator 2000x 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Visit 4patriots.com/martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com/martini. That's 4patriots.com/martini. All right, well let's talk about our uh, crazy Martini here now, Jim. And once again, you'll be shocked to hear this. Defunding Police reallocating funding doesn't seem to work. It's not stopping crime, and it's not leading to very good morale in the ranks of the police department. Let's go this time to Austin, Texas, where we once again catch up with Austin Mayor Steve Adler. This time, as far as I know, he's not speaking from his house in Cabo, his Mexican uh, beach house. This is courtesy of KXAN. Austin Mayor Steve Adler and several city council members want to move the next Austin Police Cadet Academy class up to the spring. A few months ago, city leaders moved to cancel all police cadet classes until at least June 2021. Funding for upcoming cadet classes was also cut. The latest proposed change comes after the Austin Police Association told KXAN Monday the department is losing a higher number of officers to retirement and resignations this year. Big surprise. In a city council work session Tuesday, Adler stressed to his colleagues, that he wants to see their efforts to quote, reimagine public safety and a new tide of officers working together hand in hand. Uh, Funding was cut off for the uh, academy classes back in August, of course, Jim, due to perceived racism in the process. So uh, whether it's Seattle, whether it's Minneapolis, whether it's Austin, I'm sure others have gone through the same thing. Demonizing the police, demoralizing the staff that you already have on the force, doesn't actually lead to anybody being happier. It only leads to more crime and uh, disillusioned people who are tasked with keeping your community safe. Well done, liberals. You know, Greg. One of the things that's fascinating about this
2: is that you know, up until uh, the the events of this summer and the protests that turned into riots in some cases, turned into looting in some cases, there was this emerging push towards criminal justice reform, and it had a broad-based sense that the rights of the accused had been uh, kind of withering away in our criminal justice system. And that our system did not do very well for treating the people who do get convicted of crimes. And that our goal should be to see them not uh, end up back behind bars that most of the 90 some, it's like 98% of the people who end up behind bars will get released someday. So you need to have a plan for these people you need to, you know, unless you want to have them in this endless revolving door, constantly ending up back in prison, you had some reason to try to treat these people, even though they had broken the law. And even in some cases, they've committed violent crimes. The question is, what do you want to do with these people? Do you, you know, we can't keep them behind bars forever. Can we help them become productive citizens? And it looked like there was a broad bipartisan consensus working in there, or a, I should say a broadening bipartisan consensus. And one of the interesting things I remember coming across, like let's say you look at a police department in a city, and you're frustrated with it, and you think it's got too much money. I think there are a lot of cops who would disagree with you, but I think you could probably build a pretty broad consensus that some of the money might be not wisely spent. One of the things that comes to mind was the use of surplus military equipment that ended up going to not just big city police departments, but sometimes little little city and town police departments where they're getting, hey, we've got a new armored personnel carrier. Now, look, maybe you end up with a, you know, God forbid, a hostage situation or a circumstance where you do need a, a, a armored personnel carrier or some sort of military style equipment. But by and large, on a day-to-day basis, your police department isn't going to need that. And the funds that were used to purchase that military surplus, eh, maybe it could have been better used somewhere elsewhere. I'm sure the cops themselves wouldn't mind a uh, a little bit of a bonus. Maybe it can go to benefits. Maybe it can go to additional training. Cops have all, you know, police departments have all kinds of good needs, and maybe some of that money would be better spent elsewhere. Maybe that, you know, if you do give uh, guys more de-escalation training, you'll have fewer uh, violent encounters with people who are mentally troubled and things like that. Maybe you can't, but at least it seems like an avenue worth exploring. Instead, the left had to go with defund the police. You know, there was no, hey, let's think about how we're spending this money. Let's see if it actually works. Let's actually look at the research to see if this is money well spent and actually improves our community. No, no, no. It's you know, it's interesting. We've In defunding the police, Greg, we finally found liberals who wanted to cut some government spending. <laughs> and it turned out to be money that actually we think is well spent or that by and large is probably, you certainly can't uh, take a meat cleaver to it and eliminate it possibly. Lo and behold, months later, Minneapolis, Seattle, Austin, all are finding, oh, this is more complicated than it looks. Paraphrase my colleague, Kevin Williamson, everything looks simple when you don't know the first thing about it.
1: So they learned their lesson between Biden's leaked comments, uh, the likely impact on at least down-ballot races, and possibly uh, in some states, the presidential race itself, and now what we're actually seeing in crime statistics. Will the left learn its lesson, or do the AOCs of the world still keep harping and get the media on their side?
2: I think this will be unresolved for quite some time. I think, you know, uh, to quote, the, we began this podcast by praising Mitch McConnell. And one of his favorite sayings is, there's no sense in the second kick from a mule. You learn nothing from making the same mistake twice. I think quite a few liberal Democrats will make the same mistake twice. There'll be forces in their party. Uh, Spanberger in Virginia will be insisting, no, no, we've got to learn from this. We shouldn't do this. Biden himself seems to be saying, as told, uh, pastors and, and other supporters in the African American community that this, you know, Republicans beat them over the head with this. They may need to be beat over the head with this a few more times before they recognize it. But we we'll, I, I, I don't think there'll be a quick, easy surrender of the, uh, of the defund the police movement, which oh, by the way, to kind of tie all of our martinis to Greg, remember when they were going to abolish ICE? Yes. We have the yeah. exact same argument of, they don't really mean to abolish ICE. And then you saw the liberal op-ed saying, no, no, we mean to abolish ICE.
1: <laughs> Nobody's trying to take your guns, you lunatics. Also, we'd like to take your guns. It's always nice when you're on the same page, you know? Here's the slogan that says exactly what I think. Oh, I'm sure they don't really mean it. No, no, we really do. So uh, good job, everybody. Good job. Anyway, Jim, uh, we'll keep beating them over the head with it. Uh, happy to do so, in fact. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Also, don't forget about Jim's fantastic new book, Hunting for Horsemen. Uh, Thanks to Tommy John for sponsoring us today. You can learn more and save money at tommyjohn.com slash martini. Subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We're very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Also, please find us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and please join us Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch that's chumbacasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. BTW, reward prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
1: 18+. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?"
0: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Haha, in my dentist's office.